Matthew, verse 5. Is that for you, Gordy? Great. Okay, sounds good. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, I think this is the first couple slides of Gordy's sermon, and there's something for us all to read together. So all together. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Thank you, Father, so much for our pastor, Gordy. Thank you that you've given him such a clear, specific word for this message, for this time. And I pray that he would be aware of your Holy Spirit resting on him now. We agree together and ask that you would come against anything that is not of you that would get in the way of either him speaking or us hearing this message from you. And we know that he can only preach this word with the divine help of your Holy Spirit. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're already here. We just acknowledge your presence and thank you for your help. And Lord, thank you for all the ways that you've gifted Gordy and for his passion and his excitement to teach and preach and to bring this word. And I just pray that you would help him to be so sensitive to what it is that you're saying and what he's to bring today. And just thank you for this word in advance. We thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts, in our lives, and in our church together as a community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Joanna. My pleasure. Well, good morning. It's good to be back. I was in TO for a few days this week, and it's kind of a strange experience. You, you go to the airport, you fly to Toronto, you stay at the airport at a hotel for three days, you come back to the airport here and take the transit home, and it just feels like I went to the airport. That's what it feels like. <laughs> Um, but it was, it was a good time, and a big thank you for, to all of you just uh, for, for last um, Sunday's appreciation. I thought that with that wonderful appreciation, I should let you know a little bit about... Oh, by the way, i got to say this. Today is Bob and Anna's 45th wedding anniversary. <laughs> Have you got that certificate? Can I see that? That they got this uh, little certificate in the mail. I, I, I'm going to show it to you on PowerPoint next week, but, but we didn't get time to scan it today. But it says, uh, Bohomio, how do you say that? Bohomio and Anna Berta. It is great pleasure to send you best wishes and warmest congratulations on the occasion of your 45th wedding anniversary, signed by Stephen Harper, the Prime Minister of Canada. So, uh, pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was Lydia's conniving there. So congratulations, you guys. And uh, uh, what, a, what, a, what a beautiful testimony. And what a privilege to have them in our church. Aren't they amazing? Just uh, pillars, follow Jesus, faithful. 
And, uh, and on, a sadder, on a sad note, just uh, expressing our love and condolences to Eldona at the loss of her brother, who passed away on Wednesday. And uh, so we're walking with you, Aldona, in your pain and sorrow. We rejoice with those that rejoice and suffer with those who suffer. So, uh, yeah, we love you and Jacob and are praying for you. So, um, yeah, I, I, I thought that with such a wonderful uh, thank you and uh, appreciation that Kathleen and I received last week, I thought it would be important for, to give you a Do I have time to do Yeah, I have. Give you a little bit of perspective of how I spend my week. You know, some people say, are you a pastor or do you work for a living? And, um, and uh, so I, I subscribe to a magazine called Leadership Journal, and they have what's called a name the caption contest in every issue. So what that means is they put out a cartoon like this, and, and then they ask pastors to send in a good caption for it. So we spend a lot of our time... Um, <laughs> thinking up good captions for cartoons. And um, so this was the one that came in the summer issue. And uh, how many would like me to read some of the results of the captions that came out? Okay, so one pastor sent in this caption. He heard you work for Peanuts too. Now this is, this is the uh, pastor, and I'm not sure, it must be a board member or something there. Uh, let's see if we can up the cheese factor here. When the pastor and chairman of the board took the stage, everyone knew they would address the elephant in the room. We knew that, we knew that, was, that was coming. Um, I like this one. Relevance, Brad. I said our church needs more relevance. Uh, I like that one. Um, it's taken years of therapy for him to overcome his fears of church mice. Um, I said to find an African celebrant. Yeah, I like that one. He's actually the perfect congregant, thick-skinned all years and never forgets a word. Uh, how about this one? Pastor Isaiah suddenly realized he wouldn't be able to get away with a recycling a sermon he preached 20 years ago. Um, no, you tell him the blessing of the animals is until next Sunday. That's kind of cute. I, I walked by St. Francis, and they actually... St. Francis of Assisi, remember, he used to bless the animals, and... So at St. Francis over here, they actually have Sundays where they'll bless the animals. And it's kind of cute. They have a little sign out in front that says, this Sunday's Animal Blessing Sunday. Yeah, I see it too. It's best not to talk about it. (laughs) I thought that's a good segue (laughs) into my topic today. And um, because uh, churches generally, according to Patty Duclo and others, often go for years and not talk about what I'm going to talk about today, even though Jesus pulled no punches in holding back and talking about sexuality. And um, there was, in in 1896, uh, about 110 years ago, 115 years ago, there was a movie uh, called The Kiss that came out, and it outraged the critics because there was a scene of a man and a woman stealing a quick kiss, and one critic wrote it was absolutely disgusting, and, um, and calling for bans and police action. And fast forward to today, where 
Probably a regular television viewer, they say, will watch over 14,000 scenes per year where sex is either talked about or implied in, in the media. Uh, they say about every four minutes in, in television, you can expect some kind of sexual innuendo or talk or scene. 90%, of course, is, which is unmarried uh, sexual behavior. And uh, with, with very little consequences, uh, no surprising pregnancies, no STDs, uh, no getting up in the middle of the night to change a diaper. Um, so uh, we have today what I have no apology in calling a sexualized society. And in the Sermon on the Mount, remember that Jesus is calling us to be a counterculture, to be salt and to be light. And there is probably no area of greater darkness in our culture than this whole area, the sexualization of our culture. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us uh, a way forward to being a sexual counterculture in the midst of this sexualized society. Did you know that the pornography industry has more profits than the NBA, uh, the NFL, and Major League Baseball combined. I would say the NHL too, but the NHL is peanuts compared to those other three leagues in terms of profits. But pornography outprofits them all. The average age that a child sees porn today for the first time on the internet is 11 years old. And for, in many cases, it's younger um, because that's just an average. And because of the three A's, you know the three A's of internet porn, right? What are they? Available, anonymous, and affordable. Yeah. Don't have to pay anything. And so our, our whole culture is inundated with the availability and accessibility of porn. Every day in the media, I know as I read the Vancouver Sun, uh, not every day, but often, I'm, assault, I'm, I'm assaulted by two messages. On one hand, I'm getting a message that there's a lot of sexual assault, a lot of abuse, a lot of incest, a lot of sexual crimes in our society. On the other hand, I'll, I'll turn the page and I'll see a picture of a woman who's behaving very provocatively with an intent to stir up sexual desire so that a product can be sold. So it's like these mixed messages that are coming at us all the time. And so there's this terrible sense of being lost at sea as a culture, a terrible confusion. I think when Jesus looks at our culture, I think that he is very similar to the way that he was when he looked at the multitudes, and it says that he was moved with compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I don't think this is any more true than in the area of sexualization. Does anybody know what this acronym means? K-A-G-O-Y? Kathleen and I got this from the Doc Zone. It's a documentary that CBC runs every Thursday night, and it was about the sexualization of children, particularly young girls in our culture. K-A-G-O-Y means kids are getting older, younger. Kids are getting older, younger. And this documentary was about the 
uh, our culture's sending a message to very young to girls at a very young age and sexualizing them very young. And basically the message is this, you particularly as a girl are defined by how you look to others. That is your definition and your value. And and not to be uh, crass, but one woman got on and said, you're either effable, I won't say the whole word, or you're invisible. And that is the message that's being bombarded to young girls. There's a French lingerie line that is, sending, that is promoting lingerie to girls who are four, between 4 and 12 years of age. This uh, sexualization of children is what caused Miley Cyrus to turn from a precocious pop star in one moment and in a very short time, because of marketability, almost a porn star in terms of the the videos she's in. And that's quoting this documentary, by the way. It's not something I I said. And so the the whole sexting uh, episode that ended with Amanda Todd's suicide a week or two ago is the product of a culture that says, girls, if you're going to be valuable, if you're going to be visible, flaunt yourself. But then you're used and thrown away. But the most intriguing part of this show for me was the, the confusion that I sensed, that sense of that being lost like a sheep without a shepherd. The, the, the commentators in the show were trying to call for healthy sex but you sense this lostness in terms of defining that. Uh, to, to purely define it in medical terms is, okay, just don't get STDs. That's, that's one attempt that our culture is making. A bit of an extreme example, but that, there's a lot more moderate voices out there saying, well, you know, it, it's, it's uh, maybe after you've dated for the nth time. And in our culture, the woman often holds the leverage where... She doesn't want to kind of give it up too soon because uh, the, the, the guy will take off. But if she, do, if she waits too long, then he'll get frustrated and leave. So there's this, this balancing act happening with sexuality, which is so opposite the kingdom of God that we live in about loving and laying down our lives for each other that Jesus talked about, even in this text that Joanna read from. So this is the message that's being sent. So there's this, this struggle to define what is healthy um, uh, uh, sexuality. Now let me just say from the outset that I believe that Jesus' heart is the heart of a shepherd towards us as a culture, both within the church and outside the church. Because most of us in the church are just as broken as the ones outside. Maybe why we ended up in the church, right? It's a hospital. For the broken. And I believe that Jesus' approach is not with rules, not moralizing, not right and wrong, but first of all, compassion. He recognizes that we are broken people, and usually, uh, even if those of us that are culpable, we're f- uh, impacted by forces beyond our, our control and our power. And I, I, this is not news. If you've been in this church for long, I talked about my own journey. If, if you're a child that's experienced separation anxiety, children often clutch their genitals. They find that there's a, a comfort that comes. And, and I experienced a severe trauma as a child 
And I, before I, I can consciously remember, I was, I was doing that and it came, it, it progressed into a full-blown masturbation as a teen and sexual addiction uh, to try to compensate for this pain, this loneliness that I felt inside. I need, and I, I needed Jesus, my, my shepherd, to come as a, as a lost sheep and, and bring me out of the thicket. Get me out, you know, out of the edge of the cliff that I was falling over, just like you did, just like we all did, right? And, and so some of us were sexually abused before we had any idea that, was, that it was going on and we think it was our fault and, and, and others were just seduced by the culture. Young guys are told that the way you become a man is you have sex. Even women, the way that you become a woman is you have sex. That's the message that's sent to our culture. And so Jesus, his heart is first of all one of compassion and the second is, is his heart is one of not what's right and wrong, but what is freedom. What is free for you and I? Our culture has a high value on freedom and autonomy. And Jesus has it too, but his definition of freedom is is. Becoming who you were made to be. And so, what does it look like for us to be a sexual counterculture? Well, Jesus comes out swinging, and I, and I have to say right up front that Jesus had, says some very strong things that are, that are hard to hear. But remember, He's coming with a perspective of compassion and freedom so that we corporately can hear this word and together in our brokenness walk together towards becoming a sexual counterculture to our culture. So let's look again at what he said. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, this may... I've heard a lot of people say that this would have been news for the Pharisees. It wasn't. This, This idea of, oh, oh, I never thought about the lust part. That, that, that's not what's going on here. That's not what's going on. The Pharisees definitely were against lust. And they were against um, uh, covetousness because it was part of the Ten Commandments. If you remember, this is the Seventh Commandment. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Where's covetousness? Number ten. So it was there. So it's not like, oh my goodness, I forgot about covetousness. That's not what's going on here. But what had happened is, what kind of righteousness did the Pharisees pride themselves in? It was external. It was observable. And you see, adultery or not adultery was observable. And so what happened is, subtly in their minds, the, 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 the adultery commandment took on a higher priority than the covetous command. So covet, it, it was still important for them not to covet, but they could hide it better. So they put a really high value on the, the don't commit adultery commandment because remember the, the Pharisee in the temple when he was praying beside that, that tax collector? He said, I thank you God, I'm not an adulterer. Remember, they prided themselves in that. So what Jesus does is he hits them between the eyes and he says, he says, you think adultery is serious, and it was. Adultery, if you remember the woman that was caught in adultery, it was a capital offense. Jesus said, no, lust is just as serious. It's the same crime as adultery. 
So that was the radical thing about this, was him putting the commands back in the same category. And it jolted them to a new reality. So adultery was serious. Whoops, sorry. I need to go back there. Adultery was serious. And this is one thing that our culture agrees with us about, right? Our culture agrees that adultery is not good. Oh, it happens, and you have these little covert affairs, and it kind of gets our preoccupation and fascination, and somebody escapes from a bad marriage, and everybody claps. But that's generally our culture. If you talk to most people, their value system will say adultery is wrong or bad against your fiancé, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever. But they think it being, being unfaithful is wrong. Why? Hmm? Lying, yeah, deception. Which, which does what? What does it do? It breaks trust. And it hurts who? Yourself? It hurts the other person. And, and what is our culture's value system? Right and wrong is whatever you decide you want it to be as long as what? You don't hurt the other person. Right? That's our culture's value system. That's our culture's moral system. That's kind of the, it's Nietzschean. That, if you hear of a philosopher named Nietzsche, that's where that came from. You know, you kind of, it just comes from, you know, within, you find your true inner self, right? And you go with that. That's our culture as well. Be authentic. Be you. Come out. That's our culture. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees and to our culture, You don't think that lust is the same as adultery because adultery hurts other people, whereas lust, it's just between you and yourself and, you know, me, myself, and I. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're doing to other people. And the thing about lust, you know what's amazing about lust? He could have talked about necking and petting and masturbation. He could have talked about, well, what about this and how far can I go on a date and all, you know, when can we have sex? He could have talked about that. He, he just cuts right through all that and says, let's just talk about your heart. Let's talk about how you see other people and how you relate to them. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's, let's get to the quick of this. And he says, when you lust, when you set your heart on another person and objectify them, you are causing the same damage that adultery does to yourself and to that person. Well, how does that work? How does that happen? Well, let's, let's wrestle with this a little bit. And it, it has to do with the nature of our sexual self. This, this God has given us our bodies to relate to each other. I mean, it'd be very hard for you and I to relate to each other without our bodies. We'd just be a bunch of spirits kind of passing like ships in the night, right? So we have our bodies, and we use the term body language, don't we? And it, and it has to do with looking in each other's eyes, the, the, you know, uh, the way that we posture ourselves when we talk, when we're, when we're together. Our bodies are a beautiful gift. And God has given us our sexuality... As part of our being wired to connect and to belong to one another. It's a beautiful gift that he's given us. And this, uh, this is the nature of our bodies. 
And in a sexual sense, when the sexual act goes a step further, still with our bodies, it's very hard to have sex without a body. Again. But the sexual act is a sacred and profound union between two people where they become one flesh. It's not just this cold transaction, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, with a prostitute. You literally make that prostitute the members of Christ if you are a Christian. In sexual union, we are saying something to each other. What do a man and a woman say to each other in sexual intercourse? They're saying, I'm yours and you're mine. Belonging, the language of belonging. Can I talk like this in church? It's all right, isn't it? Some of you are turning a little red there. It's okay. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And, and there's vulnerability, nakedness, and, and acceptance. Right? And so, two people are saying to each other, I am yours, you are mine forever. You are my one and only. That, that is the language of the sexual act. That's the language of it. So you can see the confusion with the term casual sex. Uh, there's a movie called Margaret that came out about a young teenage girl who seduces her high school teacher. And he's feeling pretty embarrassed about it. It was Matt Damon starring as the high school teacher. He's feeling kind of embarrassed about it as she walks out the door. And she looks at him and she says, Oh, don't feel bad. It's just sex. I initiated it and I won't tell anybody. Anybody. And two weeks later, she tells him she's pregnant, right? Now, even if she wasn't pregnant, what, is, what has happened is that there, there's this covenant that two people have entered into that they then remove themselves from, causing this, this confusion right? that we see in our culture over what is called healthy sex. Now, the... It, it's never just sex. It's never just, there's no such thing as casual sex. It doesn't, it's an oxymoron. And the Corinthians had this idea of casual sex. Paul kind of defined it this way. The Corinthians thought of it like this. I get hungry, he said, food for the body, the body for food. I get hungry, I eat. I get horny, I have sex. That's how the Corinthians um, were living. And they had prostitutes available for that purpose. So Paul had to say to them, guys, it's not that simple. Okay? It's a little more complicated. It's not just, you know, it's lunchtime, let's have a sandwich here. There's a profound, sacred thing that's that's happening here. So, this, and I had to be very careful how I spelled this, um, but always in public, Right? And what I mean by that, <laughs> Lydia gets it. All right. Uh, uh, what I mean by that is there's no such thing as this private sex, or it's just between me. It's it's what I it's my business, or between me and my partner. And and you know, s- sexuality when two people are joined, they become there's a family there. There's brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, uncles and aunties. There's you know, there's possible children. There's, um, it's, it's never just between two consenting adults. And so, um, Phil Griffin says it this way. There, 
if you sleep with a person that you're not in a life covenant with, that you're just dating, for example, you're telling each other two things. First of all, and I want you to consider this, just consider this. First, you're telling each other that your relationship with God is not your primary commitment. And secondly, you're telling each other that you're the kind of person that will sleep with somebody that you're not married to, that you're not in a life covenant with. So if you do that now, is saying some vows later going to make a difference? So in an over-sexualized society, how do you avoid lust? Uh, how, with the, the media, with the values, how, and maybe I'm addressing, this, this is a little bit more of a man thing, but I think, I think obviously women are, uh, are wired in, in different ways, but I think, I think there are things that apply to all of us, but I think it's good, if, if it's okay, I'll just kind of take it from the perspective from a man's head and a man's heart uh, a little bit on this and, and sisters bear with me and, and hold us accountable to this as guys. Um, I think, and I've talked a lot about this because a lot of guys are condemned uh, by confusing sexual desire with lust and confusing sexual attraction with lust. I think sexual desire and sexual attraction are actually gifts. Even though they sometimes drive us crazy, they are gifts that God has given to us. And so part of it, and this is where my Greek class comes in handy again, but part of it is looking at the, the context, basically what Jesus said, the Greek word for lust is epithemesi, uh, comes from the the, the origin of the Greek word thumos, which literally means to turn up the heat, like a thermostat. So it's to set, deliberately set your eyes. Jesus, what Jesus is saying here is he who deliberately sets his eyes on a woman with the objective of turning himself on sexually. Stirring up, turning up the heat, turning up the desire. So... It doesn't mean that if you see a beautiful woman, guys, that walks in the room and you, you feel excitement, you feel attraction. They've done studies to show that the pleasure center of the brain that goes off uh, is the same as a hit of cocaine. Now, I've never done cocaine, but I've talked to cocaine addicts, and that's pretty powerful. That sounds like it's pretty powerful, right? So this is what we're dealing with, ladies. And... Jesus is saying that is not sin. If you look at this text, it's what you do with that desire. It's what you do with that attraction. And Jesus, you can be sure, as a man, was as physically wired as the rest of us guys are. And he had to deal with the same thing, and he lived pure and without sin his whole life. So, there, so there's, there's an intentionality about it. And... Um, but with lust, it's that where that physical desire and attraction is, is begun to be deliberately stirred up, where you set your eye or your heart on someone, in this case a woman, not to love her, not to see her. This is important. Not to see her. Yeah, to see her body, to see her breasts maybe, but not to see her. Do you notice how much it says that Jesus looked on a woman, he, the woman with the issue of blood? The woman that was at the well. The woman caught in adultery. Often, the, some of his greatest actions occurred. It says he saw them. 
whether they were, quote, physically attractive or by this world's standards or not, it made no difference. He saw them. He saw the person. He set eyes on them. And what lust does is it pokes your eye out. Isn't that an interesting irony? It pulls your eye out. Uh, so that you no longer see that woman in the image of God, worthy of love, honor, and respect. She can no longer be your friend. She can no longer be your sister. i got a lot of beautiful women in my life, and a lot of you are here today. And you know what? You're my sisters. You're my friends. And lust destroys that. The mystics, you know, the church fathers and mothers... They had this simple equation. You know, purity's gotten a bad rap. We think Victorianism, moral prudery. But you know what the mystics believed? Purity equals loving. The more pure you were, the more you were free to just love God and others. And lay down your life. Lust destroys that because you can't see the person. You can't see them anymore. I remember when... I was 17 years of age and had uh, habitually masturbated for years with teenage fantasies and sexualization, objectification of, of women. I gave my life to Christ. And after about a year of walking with Jesus, Jesus came to me and said, so tenderly as a shepherd, Gordy, I have more for you. I have more for you. And he gently and tenderly led me out of that addiction uh, so few people talked like this in the church back then. Thank God it's changing. But I just, nobody talked. I didn't know if masturbation was right or wrong. It wasn't in the Bible. I didn't know. And Jesus didn't come and condemn me. In fact, he used a, a godly man named David Wilkerson, who's now with the Lord, the guy that wrote the cross and the switchblade. He was one of the few people. And all he just said, just in passing one day almost in a sermon, he says, he just didn't think it was God's best. And that's all I needed. I wanted God's best, right? Because I knew, I, I knew that even though Jesus wasn't condemning me, I wanted to treat women as persons, not as objects. And so he led me out, and it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful story that I look back on with great joy. But I remember it was summertime in June, and it was grade 11, I think, and we had a swimming class at the local outdoor swimming pool. And there was this beautiful young girl who was like a beauty queen that all the guys, you know, they, they worshipped her in the school. And she was legendary. I mean, her, her beauty was legendary. And, and she, here I am with my buddy who had recently given his life to the Lord along with me and we're sitting there on the pool deck, and this girl walks out in a bikini. And it was just unbelievably breathtaking. I just, like, lost, you know, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> and and I, I, I had about two or three seconds where I just was able to appreciate her beauty. And, that, and I just, just instinctively, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, okay, just let it go. Just let it go. Well, my buddy, sitting beside me, didn't want to let it go. He's ogling. He's going, oh, my. He's just going on and on and on. And he tried to get me to look again. And I knew it was that second look that was going to take me into lust. 
At that point, it just brought me closer to Jesus. I just, I, literally, I felt more worshipful. I felt more reverent. God, you, you knew what you were doing. My goodness. Okay? And sad to say, my friend, got, his heart grew cold. And he walked away from the Lord. I don't know if that was the, the, the pivotal moment, but it stands out in my mind as a, as a dividing line. It's the direction he wanted to go and the direction I felt Jesus was calling me to go. Didn't Jesus say the hearts of many will, will grow cold because iniquity abounds? Isn't that what's happening so much? So I've never forgotten this. So Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see. They will see. You, they will see God. They'll see. Don't do it like the Pharisees. The Pharisees... Yes, lust wasn't important as adultery, but they still went to great lengths. Do you know what the Pharisees did to try to avoid lust? And we still see this in Middle Eastern cultures today. Don't look. If you don't see a woman, then you won't lust. Right? So they had all kinds of rules. Uh, they couldn't see a woman's finger. They couldn't look at a woman's heel. They couldn't follow a woman if they crossed a bridge. If he was walking with his wife, he had to walk beside her so he wouldn't look at her from behind, right? They had all these rules. Uh, oh, I, I could go on and on. It was crazy. And, you know, I saw, I was down at Third, I like in the, in the summertime to go early to Third Beach on my day off. And, and uh, I was reading and I looked, I looked up and there was a woman walking along the, 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 the waterfront in a burqa. And all I could see was just her eyes. And I felt this anger. I just thought, here is a culture. This is the influence of a culture that thinks the only way you can avoid lust is not to see. On the other hand, I thought, good for you. Because you're standing up against the objectification of women. So it was kind of this mixed, <laughs> mixed feelings I had about the burqa. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing or condemning a culture. I'm just saying that there's this whole whole idea that if you can just and I think that's what Jesus is, is doing I think he was aware of these contortions that the Pharisees would go after to try to avoid lust and he says hey you don't want to see a woman just pull your eye out that's a problem just cut your hand off you know but there's something more Bonhoeffer says about this passage of scripture where Jesus said, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body. I, 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 I sense a twinkle in Jesus' eye as he's, as he's saying this to, to the disciples. Because everybody knows you can still lust without an eye. That actually the true sexual organ is the mind. That's the sexual organ. It's, it, it's won or lost in the area of the mind. But Bonhoeffer said this about this passage. Is, is if we ask the question whether this, is Jesus literal here or is he figurative? He said the, the question itself is wrong and wicked. I mean, Bonhoeffer did not pull any punches. He says it's a wrong and wicked question and doesn't even admit of an answer. 
If we say it's figurative, then we'll water down the seriousness of what Jesus was saying. If we say it's literal, then we show the absurdity of the Christian position and and again invalidate the command. You know what the problem with the, the don't look rule? Is we do the same thing as the objectification. It's still making women invisible. It's just the reverse. It's the same root. That same problem. Now the key to this passage is the word make cause to stumble. It's the Greek word scandalon, where we get the word scandal from. And it literally means, uh, in a general sense, to, to cause someone to stumble, to entice into sin, to cause one to begin to, listen to this. Remember what adultery, adultery is? Listen to this. Here's what scandalon means. It means to cause one to begin to distrust and desert one in whom they ought to trust and obey. It causes one to desert and distrust one whom they ought to trust and obey. To cause to fall away. The, word, the root word for the word scandalon uh, is a word which literally means a trigger or a trap. You know, a mouse trap. They have, you put the little cheese or the peanut butter. Sorry, you animal lovers. But, you know, you put, you put the cheese in there. And you, what do you want? To trap that mouse, it, you want it to get the trigger. Right? The trigger, the trigger goes. Then the trap, is, the trap works. And that, this word is literally trigger. And, of course, addicts understand the language of triggers. A trigger is, is it's, it's a, it can be thought of anything that brings back thoughts, feelings. Remember like Pavlov's dog, where, where he, he, he would get his dog just before dinner time, he'd ring a bell. And then he'd give him dinner, and then he'd ring a bell, and then dinner. And so every time he, he, he could ring that bell, the dog would start salivating, right? He began to think, and that's what happens with addictions. That's why you... When someone hears music or they pass a certain place on the street where they used to buy drugs, it triggers that memory and that salivating for that addiction. Or, or someone who's a, 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 a sexual addict, when they see the computer where they can access the, the porn. And so with triggers, it's like this three-second rule. Like when you're in the... Uh, addiction counselors will tell you about... When you light a match and you, you drop it in the forest, you have about three seconds to put it out. And it's just, it's almost as, as a human being, it's saying, Lord, what are my triggers? And, and what sets off, right? You, you become aware of what it is and you just say, okay, you got three seconds, buddy, and you're out. Like Kathleen and I have been realizing we sometimes leave the house and candles are burning. So we just started every time we leave a room, put the candle out because as, you know, we all live busy lives and things happen. A phone call comes and you run out of the house. And, you know, I told you a few weeks ago I almost burned the house down with the rice thing, right? So, three seconds. Three seconds. Three seconds, right? When I was sitting on the pool deck and the girl with the bikini came out, I had three seconds. I milked it to the max. Once you know that. Just kidding. Yeah, 1,001, that's right. Football counting, 1,001, right? (laughs) Uh, So they talk about four triggers. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, we need sustenance. Angry, we need emotional uh, peace. 
Tired, we need rest. Lonely, we need companionship. When you miss out on those, you start triggering, triggering, triggering. Uh, And so, uh, lust then is not just feeling attraction or desire. I was driving with a group of teenagers a few years ago through the Rockies. I took them with me on a ministry trip to Alberta. And we were driving through the Jasper area and we were all talking about this issue of lust. And, you know, the guys and the girls were all there and we're having a very animated conversation. And I looked at the beauty of the Rockies and I said, guys, this is... Let me, let me tell you, let me, tell, let me give you a perspective. I love these beautiful mountains and I can appreciate and enjoy them, but I don't have to have them. And, and, and the kids went, yeah, yeah I, I, I get that. Where the illustration breaks down, Rockies don't quite do it like gals you do. So there, it, it does break down, but you get my point. Um... Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, Adherence to Jesus allows no free reign of desire unless it is accompanied by love. Jesus doesn't forbid his disciples to look at anything. He only bids them look upon him. Then their gaze will always be pure even when they look on a woman. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see. Purity is to love. Secondly, by embracing God's alternative. It's interesting, this word epithumai, which is used for lust in, in uh, Matthew 5, is not always a negative word. In the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 15, Jesus said, with great epithumai, I have epithumied. It literally means with great desire, I have desired to be together with you as my disciples for this Passover. Longing... Your sexual desire was meant to tap you into your deepest longings and desires, and that is to know God and be connected with your brothers and sisters. Your deepest true desires. So allow sexual desire to remind you of that panting for God that David wrote about in Psalm chapter 40. As the deer pants after the water brook, so my heart longs for you, pants for you, O God. That's sexual language. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I was listening to Gary Best give his, his final words to the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, very well respected in the, in the, in the Canadian movement as, as, a, as the vineyard leader, and I'm kind of taking his place from now on in, in representing the vineyard to, to, to the Evangelical Church. And I was listening to him share, and he talked about as a young Alliance kid, he would read A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God, and he said as he read A.W. Tozer, his heart was inflamed to pursue God. So we can turn up the temperature, but it's for God and for love. It's always for God. Even as a married man, I am not allowed to lust. I'm not allowed to objectify my wife. She is my friend and my lover and my companion and my sister and my bride. But lust, it says in Hebrews, keep the marriage bed pure. Even the marriage bed must be kept pure. And of course, couples spend a lifetime learning what that means and what that looks like. And Paul wrote in Galatians, for the flesh lusts, the flesh meaning our old nature, lusts against the spirit. We've got two desires inside of us, warring with each other. You know what the good news is? Those old desires, 
they're passing away. And those new desires, those are actually the desires of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. That's a person in you. And he's stronger. He's greater. He's more powerful than those old desires. And how many remember the movie The Beautiful Mind? I think, I think this is so... It's the story of uh, the, uh, this man who was a, a genius, but he had schizophrenia, starring Russell Crowe. And, and for the longest time, those schizophrenic voices and images dominated him. Remember what happened near the end of the movie? Did they leave? No. They were still there. But he'd see them and go, oh, it's you. And he'd just go on. And it's kind of like that. I, I don't think as a man... I will ever be totally free of the danger of lust until I see Jesus face to face. I think every day I'm going to have to walk just really, really broken, poor in spirit, first beatitude. You know, you've all heard that story when I'm having my prayer walk through the neighborhood. Oh, I'm, the Spirit of God is all over me and all of a sudden I hear this pat, 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 pat. And... What passes me is this perfect woman, woman jogger, dressed for it. And as she passed me and she was right in front of me, I started praying, oh God, oh God, oh God. Right? And I, don't, I honestly don't know if I passed that test 100%. I don't know. Jesus knows. All I just said was, oh God. Poor in spirit. Is Jesus... And I think there's something about inviting Jesus. One of my stories I heard was Charles Hunter. He was like this 65, 70-year-old man was telling a story about he got in an elevator and a woman walked on with a, with a very, very slight miniskirt. And he caught a glimpse of her legs and he looked up at Jesus and said, Jesus, did you see those legs? <laughs> I heard that story as a teenager and I went, right on. Right on. And I think that's what Jesus is saying, is you invite him into the conversation. And I think you'll find him incredibly joyful and merciful and gracious. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm out of time. So let's, for practice, each time you experience the temptation to lust, and for women, whatever that looks like for you, I, I don't understand women, so, or set your heart on a wrong desire this week. Practice engaging and interacting with Jesus. I must say I'm proud of our guys because I've, I've seen and get the guys, a community, when we did our retreat, there was incredible willingness to talk about this stuff and confess sin and pray for one another and to, you know, set up internet accounts where we know where each other are, have been on the internet. That's a problem. Stuff like that. You know, go, keep going with that. Uh, interact with Jesus. And secondly, journal your experiences and share with, share with the prayer partner. I think if we walk in the light as he is in the light and talk about elephants in the room. Again, this, is, this applies whether you're married or single. And can I say this? Whether you're gay or straight. You know, we will, in this neighborhood, Gordy, you didn't take time to talk about the gay issue, gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual issue. And there's all kinds of foment going on in our culture and in the church about these issues. And what I would say is the enemy wants us to get sidetracked with surface issues 
where Jesus the shepherd is coming to our hearts. And whether you think you're gay or straight or whatever you think you are, or you believe you are, I don't, I don't want to put that on you, whatever you believe you are, the issue is your heart. We're still called to purity. We're called not to a formula and a set of rules, but to a voice, the shepherd's voice. Come on up, Joanna. And Kathleen, did you have something you wanted to share? You had a word too, right? We're going to have to... Sorry, I went a little long here, guys. But oh, You're good. My thought as you were sharing today was just, um, I think when we hear a message like this as women, sometimes it gets very easy, um, or the temptation can be that then you do want to hide. Um, when, you know, the topic of men lusting, I'm, I'm somebody that I generally tend to think, it's not really that big a problem. And then sometimes I can think, oh, God, Really? All you guys are thinking about that all the time? Really? That's what you're thinking about all the time? Where um, what came to my mind as, as you were talking today, Gordy, was that there was one time where I had the opportunity to teach here. And um, uh, whenever I, I teach, I always like to wear a nice dress or get dressed up. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I homeschool. I don't get, to, I don't get out much. You know, Sunday, get dressed up. <laughs> And we had visitors that week, and I don't even remember who they were. I think that they were a couple that maybe you knew or, or were known to somebody here in the congregation, but they were an older man and woman. They had spiritual authority on them. Maybe they came with Ralph and Donna Bromney, but they came to me after and affirmed me. But the older gentleman came to me, and he said to me, I want to bless you today as a woman, as a beautiful woman woman. You gave that word, but all I could think of was you were such a beautiful woman when you gave that word. And I don't know what it was about it, but it freed me. It uh, empowered me to accept that in the same way that God has created us all, he's created us to be beautiful and that we don't do our brothers any favors by hiding or not showing our beauty or not being who we are, not who God has created us to be. And that it's very much in partnership and in the same way that our brothers are keeping their hearts in check and making sure that when they look at us, they're seeing our beauty and regarding us as the mountains. We in the same way are also regarding our brothers in the same way and also being true to embracing who God's made us to be as beautiful women, as everything that God's, because we could go on about it forever. But God has made us in partnership with men and women, brothers and sisters. That word helpmate is such a powerful word. It's such a powerful word. That it's, it's who we're called to be as women. That we don't do anybody any favors by hiding. So that's just what came to me as you were talking today. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Joanna. That's awesome. That's really a great word, too. I used to teach with Gordy a lot with youth, but I, I really also encouraged women to be, you know, modest in their apparel. <laughs> so we talked about how high the slit went and how low the the cleavage went down. And because uh, girls can be, you know, can really be a source of temptation as well. But the word I had uh, really is much broader in terms of it comes from the book of Matthew, and it was when the ruler came to Jesus and said, My daughter has just died, but if you come and lay a hand on her, 
I know she can live. And there was just something that just thrilled me this morning as I was interceding. And I just know this is for you, uh, Wade and Joe. I, I know it's for many of us. I know it's for Gordy. I know it's for myself. For many of us in this church that we can see things that we have had promised to us. And it seems like there's just a spirit of death on it. It seems like it's just dormant. It's just not there. It's not happening. But, you know, the faith of that man, that ruler, he came and he spoke it out. And he said, if you will come and lay hands on my daughter, then we know that Jesus did indeed. But, I mean, I thought, what if he had not come to Christ? What if he had not asked Jesus to come, put his hand on his daughter? And when Jesus came, the daughter was dead. But he, but he just said, all these people that were mourning and wailing, if you look in the footnotes, it talks about how in those days they actually paid people. They didn't want to have a funeral. Only two people showed up. That was embarrassing. So they actually paid tons of people to come and mourn and cry out and wail. And it was all fake. And I just feel like the enemy has just raised up the ante here to, you know, bring the wailing and the mourning and the intimidation. And you know what? We're not going to be successful. We're not going to be healed. We're not going to have the finances, whatever it is. And Jesus just said, you know, uh, he had his disciples with him and he cleared them out of there. He said, get out. I don't know how he said it. He's probably pretty polite, but made sure that they got out of the room and he just laid hands on that girl and she lived and I just want to commend you and I want to commend Gordy and I want to commend myself to be like that ruler we can we can paint you know the picture that it's all dying it's all death and what was so exciting of course I'm trying really hard not to talk to Gordy when he's driving because <laughs> sometimes he gets a little bit distracted <laughs> So I was so excited this morning we were coming to church together, and he was like, well, that's kind of like the word I got. So anyway, I'll pass it off to you. But I want to, you know, commend you, Kenny. God is going to heal you. You are going to be healed. You are being healed. Don't give up. So if you've made a sexual choice that you still struggle with shame over and you need freedom. If you struggle with lust or addiction, if you're engaged in a healthy, unhealthy relationship and you don't know how to, the way forward, or, or you suffered sexual abuse and you still struggle with the feeling that somehow, somewhere, it was your fault. Or if you're a woman who still struggles with the culture's values as to what's, what makes you visible or important or valuable or even to have an identity. Or if you're a man who's been caught up in the plethora of lies of our culture that tells you that sex is what makes a boy a man and that lust is inevitable. I want you to know that whatever category you might be in, Jesus sees you. And he's moved with compassion. He's moved with compassion. Not pity, but compassion. Not judgment, but compassion. And he's saying, my sheep hear my voice.
wherever you are, whatever you're struggling with, it might be sexual identity issues. Am I gay? Invite the shepherd. Just invite the shepherd. Would you let us pray for you? Encourage you. Uh, I know some of you are going to have to get your kids, but if you have to love and serve one another just to, to, to get some prayer for a few minutes, I'd encourage you to do that. And can I say this? I, I was going to say this at the beginning. I have no illusions that if, if this is where this topic starts and ends, it's, it's going to have no impact. It has to continue in our conversations, our wrestlings with one another, confessing our faults, praying for one another. Are there triggers today that you're struggling with? Grief, loneliness, loss. Maybe you're weary. All who are weary, all who are weak. Come to the fountain. Dip your heart in the stream of life. Let's stand together. Hmm? Yeah, I'd like some of us, if it's okay, Aldona, can we gather around you and pray a little bit? Sure. And, and some of our people are a part of Living Waters, a great ministry for this stuff, and, and I encourage, encourage that. I, I loved, I loved your, your teaching and preaching this morning. It was awesome. I just wanted to share a resource. I, I had just finished a couple of months ago doing an independent um, Bible study called um, Sexy Christian, <laughs> and it's a book written by Ted and Diane Roberts, <clears throat> it's a ministry they have, and they go all over the place. And it talks about that very thing. The, you know, God is the one that designed the institution of marriage. You need a degree to be a doctor. You need to study for four years to be a dentist. But not very many people learn about the divine institution that God created. And there's parameters, there's instructions for women, instructions for men. And then he talks about our humanity. We are wired differently. So the Sexy Christian is an awesome resource for both married couples and for people that are single that have a desire to, to pray for a husband or a wife. So I just wanted to share that. I thought it was awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Ted and Diane Roberts. Thanks, Aldona. Yeah, Aldona, Aldona has so many resources coming through her and from her. Just to encourage We need to wrap it up. I just want, I want to invite Wade to come up and stand with Joe. I just feel like God wants to accelerate what God wants to do through these guys in terms of what's, you know, the soap making and the vision for, so if, if I know they have kids, three kids, but I just feel like God is really, that really was quickened to me this morning, that whole word for you guys. Amen. All right, so if some could come as well and pray for these and for Aldona, that would be great. So Lord Jesus, I pray that your grace, your peace, your mercy would be with each person in this congregation, that wherever we are in our journey, that you would walk with us, be our shepherd this week. I bless them, Lord, to hear your voice and to follow you today and through this week. Amen. Grace and peace. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.